florals for spring groundbreaking. Steak! Steak! Where's Armani? He's on the phone. On the phone. Uh, Meryl Streep is Michael's favorite actor, so it yes. makes sense that he would identify with her character. He also kind of fashions himself a Miranda Priestly. He does. He tries to. I think he wants them to love him, not fear him, but I think he'd yes, take Yes, he either. wants everyone to be afraid of how much they love him. Yes. Absolutely. That's what he says. Yes. <laughs> and then I like, I love at the end when he finishes the movie and he's like, turns out Meryl Streep was the bad guy. Who knew? <laughs> Hello, listeners. Hi, listeners. <laughs> we are, of course, talking about The Devil Wears Prada through the filter of The Office. Yes. Very specifically. <laughs> very specifically. That's what. That's all we're going to talk about. Yes. <laughs> Just this one cold open on The Office. It's like, what? <laughs> Where Michael is watching The Devil Wears Prada. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's real good. Oh, poor Pam. Mm-hmm. He, like, throws his coat on her desk. Yeah. <laughs> Steak. Steak. Oh, no. He's watching anyway. Million Dollar Baby. Uh, <laughs> he's going to try to kill me. <laughs> Makushla. Makushla. Yes. Well, not Million Dollar Baby. No. <laughs> the Devil Wears Prada. The Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> Hello, we're Pop DNA. Hi. <laughs> we're two minutes in, and we haven't even introduced ourselves. We are... Um, talking for the next few weeks here about the film and book, The Devil Wears Prada. The Devil Wears Prada. I feel like it's this is such an iconic movie. Yeah. And it was time to talk about it, right? It, I feel yeah. like it was huge when it came out. It was very much mm-hmm. like, I think, I, I don't remember what how old I was when I saw it, but I've definitely seen this movie like a million times. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I love it. I definitely saw it in the theater. Yeah. Um, like, it's one of those movies, like we were talking about earlier, like, it's one of those movies where, like, if you're fl- flipping through channels, which I don't flip through channels anymore because I don't have cable. Sure. Um, but, like, <laughs> if you're in a situation where you're able to flip through channels. <laughs> yes. And, <laughs> and you see that it's on, you know, like, TBS or something. Yeah. Even if it's like halfway through, like you stop and you watch it. You watch, you watch it. the rest of the movie. It's one. It's one of those movies. Yeah. yeah. It's that rare movie that you know came out a long time ago, and so it has like I think for a lot of us it has like kind of that nostalgic quality to it. Yeah. And yet it's also still relevant. Like it doesn't feel yeah. dated at all. I mean, some some aspects of it are a little bit, but like overall, it's still you know kind of timeless yeah Um, and it like yeah the performances are interesting to watch the the like there are actually funny moments in it like i think Mm -hmm. emily blunt's character is really funny oh my gosh she steals every scene she's so great this is the first time i'd ever seen her in anything too so i was Mm -hmm. like oh who is this person they're really cool i think this is like the first big thing that she was in i think so yeah. yeah 
I think you also, with Anne Hathaway, she really plays that every woman character really well mm-hmm. as an entry point. As much as someone who looks like Anne Hathaway can be an every woman. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because we had all seen her in Princess Diaries and now uh-huh. this is Enchanted. Like, yeah. So this is like her first like adult role, really. Right. And I think it's also yeah. like, I'm trying to figure out why it's comforting because i don't think that it should Mm. be but it's comforting to me this movie it is yeah i mean stanley tucci yes you know what it is for me is it it harkens back to a time when i really believed in this kind of a lifestyle like Mm. where you're like i'm gonna move to new york and work in publishing or fashion or whatever and it's all gonna work out well and it's gonna Uh be great and i'm gonna do it <laughs> yeah yes. yeah no 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 okay well should we do a little background i feel like everyone already knows about this movie sure if you don't i don't know what you've been doing with your life but we'll go ahead and do a bit of background so the devil wears prada is a 2006 american comedy drama film <laughs> um <laughs> Comedy Sorry. drama. I would just call it a comedy, honestly. Me too. I mean, I, uh, I mean yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Directed yeah. by David Frankel and produced by Wendy Feinerman. The screenplay was written by Aline Brosh McKenna. Yeah. Who we noted uh, before we started today. We noted um, it also wrote the screenplay for 27 Dresses. Yeah. And was uh, a, co- a co-creator or co-executive producer for Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Yeah. It is based on the Lauren Weisberger 2003 novel of the same title, The Devil Wears Prada. The devil. And there's also a band called The Devil Wears Prada. Just yeah. <laughs> FYI. Uh, the film adaptation stars Meryl Streep as Miranda Priestly, of course. She is a fashion magazine editor-in-chief, very famously somewhat modeled after Anna Wintour. Yeah the editor of Vogue. And of course, Anne Hathaway also stars as Andrea Andy Sachs, who is a recent college graduate and moves to New York City and wants to be a journalist and to try to get into the industry. She uh, takes a job as Miranda's assistant, her second assistant, because her first assistant yes. uh, is Emily, played by Emily Blunt. And then we also have Stanley Tucci Adrian Grenier, Simon Baker, and Tracy Toms rounding out the cast of supporting characters. Yeah. And they're all wonderful. And I also, oh, what, uh, here's another office connection. So um, John Krasinski, before he even met Emily Blunt, he was a huge fan of her in Aww. this movie, Aww. which I think is adorable. And he would like watch the movie over and over and because he was in love with her. Oh, I know. <laughs> There's hope. Okay, I know. Well, and one of their friends doesn't he? One of the friends plays Pam's kind of would-be love interest when she goes to art school, or the guy who like hits on her. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, I forgot about that. That too. The oh guy my just kind of scooping in on poor Pam. 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 Uh, <laughs> I maintain that Alex was not trying to hit on Pam. I think that he genuinely 
respected her as a friend and as an artist. And he thought that 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 he was actually, you know, giving her advice by like telling her, hey, you need to pursue. Sure. Artistic passion. Sure. That's yeah. I hate that everyone always jumps like, oh, he was just hitting on her or whatever. Like, no. I always anyway. assume anyone who talks to me is hitting on me. So same. So. But in my case, it's usually true. So <laughs> okay, N- enough about the office and people hitting on us. There's never, there's never enough about the office. Never. Uh, tell me about the first time you either read the book or saw the movie or both, if you want. I think. I definitely saw this in theaters and it became like the sleepover movie. So anytime we had a sleepover, we would watch this. It just be like I said, like it became the this is what the world is type movie, (laughs) you know, like very aspirational. Absolutely. Like I'm going to walk down a city street in New York City as KT Tunstall plays Suddenly I See, <laughs> and I'm going to get my bagel. And then eventually- Okay, but how good, how good is that, first of all, like that whole like montage, yeah. that whole sequence, but also KT Tunstall's album yeah. had just come out like around that same time, I think, and every single song on it was fantastic. That, I used just to fall asleep to, to that album. That. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. I... Oh, yeah. As I was watching the se- the opening sequence, I was thinking, I got to listen to that again, because that used to mm-hmm. be, I would listen to it every day. Yeah. And just like the whole opening scene really does just envelop you into like what we choose to wear every day and that kind of discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, it was also, I was watching it at a time in my life. I, I don't remember how old I was, but I think it was like seventh or eighth grade. Which was very much like starting to be a human, if that makes sense. (laughs) Like, I was no longer like a a child and I was starting to make decisions about who I wanted to be as a human. So watching like this discussion about kind of, am I going to be a Miranda Priestly or an Andrew? You know what I mean? Like that kind Mm -hmm. of how to gain success in the world and kind of how to identify with fashion chef's kiss, especially for the time of the <laughs> age that I was when I watched it. What about yourself? Yeah. yeah. So like I said, I also watched it in a theater and I'm pretty sure I did read the book mm-hmm. before I saw it because like that was like, I, you know, at the time, I was like, you have to read the book before you yeah. see the movie. That's what you have to do. I do not think that anymore. <laughs> but I did at the time. So I was like, oh, I have to read the book. And, like, I really liked the book. Yeah, I did too. And, like, we'll kind of, like, get into this, I think, a little more perhaps. When did the book come out? I think the book came out in, like, 2002. Okay. Right? I think. Something yeah. like that. And like that was like at the 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 height of the popularity of the genre known as chiclet. Yeah, sure. Which like I you know I definitely was like younger than the target audience for a lot of these books, but I read a lot of them. Yeah. During that during like the two thousands, and so for me it kind of fit into that. 
like Bridget Jones's diary is like right. That's the 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 ur text of of chiclet. Um, yeah, but like that was the kind of genre that like I kind of sought fitting into. And then like you know I went and saw the movie, and I you know I loved the movie. But then like I started like in like you know the next couple of years I started seeing the movie referred to as a rom com, uh-huh. and. That made me so angry. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, like nothing at all against rom-coms. I love a rom-com. Of course. But let's call it what it is. Like, not every movie with a female main character is a rom-com. Can we please stop doing that? Anyway, yeah, that's absolutely. a whole thing. <laughs> that's a whole soapbox. But yeah, like, I loved the movie. And like we said, like, it's one of those movies that... Like, it's comforting, and, like, if you see that it's on TV, you you watch it. You watch it. Yeah, like, I, I don't even know at this point how many times I've seen the movie. I know. And, I mean, yeah, definitely. Not, not to say that it's perfect. It's definitely not a perfect film. No. It has a lot of issues, which we will get into. But many, many. Yeah, yeah, I think. It's, it's iconic. Yeah. I think, you know, since we're just coming off of Christmas, I think it hmm. does kind of a similar thing with, like, the first experience, the stress of the first experience of a job um, mm. in kind of the same way that you like with Jingle All the Way and with um, <laughs> Home Alone. Um, we relate to those movies often because the stress of the season is something that we think is that we're all going through and we think is mm-hmm. um, something we need to laugh about. I think that very much happens with Devil Wears Prada. There's something cathartic about seeing a stressful work environment if you have experienced mm-hmm. that as well. Yes, for sure. Yeah, and there was like like the whole thing where she has like the phone that Miranda always calls her on. Yeah. Like she has two phones, right? Because she has like mm-hmm. her regular phone and then the one that Miranda always calls her on. And I think like at some point... It was in like 2008 or 9. I was in college or it might have been during my, I don't know, something like that. I had this job where the, so like it was just like a phone for the job, but it was a cell phone. Uh-huh. And rather than leaving it in at the office all the time, I would sometimes have it with me. Um, and so I was like, oh, I'm like Anne Hathaway in the Devil's <laughs> Prada where she has two phones. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't nearly as, like, demanding or stressful as a job, but it was just funny because I had the two phones. But Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, yeah, well, just a funny little memory that reoccurred to me. Your boss also <laughs> probably knew how to not be um, codependent with an employee, <laughs> right. but hey. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, so we kind of wanted to just have, like, a more open-ended discussion for part one I think just because you know like we've said like this movie like everyone knows this movie we know this movie intimately yeah (laughs) and so I think we just kind of want to get like the just kind of like get this out of our (laughs) out Out of of our our systems right yeah so like we're just gonna put it all out there did you get a chance to read that oral history article about what like the cast reunion i didn't i don't know how i didn't see it yeah that's okay 
Um, I just pulled out a few of like a few passages from it that I found really interesting. I think that we usually end with like how a work has influenced yeah um, pop culture and other works, but I think it makes sense to kind of talk about this now in part one. Um, because I think that after The Devil Wears Prada, we saw so many other things that kind of delve into the world of fashion, yeah. um, the fashion industry. And I, th- I, I think like a lot of the, like, especially these shows that like these fiction TV shows that we have on our mm-hmm. list, like The Bold Type and Ugly Betty, like The Devil Wears Prada is so such a cultural touchstone that these things are often referred to as it's the devil wears Prada meets right. something else. Yeah. So I think that that this is actually a good place to start in our, in our discussion. Yeah. Well, we've been trying to talk about the bold type for a very long time. <laughs> the bold type. Oh goodness. Yes. Jan Levinson. Yes. Um, isn't it? <laughs> I actually think this is a. I was thinking about this last night. I think that Miranda Priestley might have been written a lot more like the boss in the bold type um, if this had been written later. I think uh, mm. Miranda Priestley is kind of positioned as a villain. However, she's. I'll get into this later, but she's Mm -hmm. a strong woman who's existing in an industry that doesn't necessarily value her expertise or didn't at the Mm. beginning of her career. I think that the bold type, oh, I can't think of her name. Oh my goodness. Um, Melora Hardin. The character. um, Oh, Jacqueline. 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 Yes. I think Jacqueline is just as strong of a boss and just as has maybe had a similar trajectory um, in terms of things that she's fought through but the fights that she goes through are kind of seen with a sympathetic eye Mm -hmm. Um, whereas we see Miranda Priestly and you kind of for the most part she's written from a point of kind of heightened evil so I wonder if she had been written Mm -hmm. later if she would be a little more like Jacqueline yeah, I don't know. I so like Miranda was like very intentionally based on um Lauren Weisberger's experience with Anna Wintour. Sure. So like she's you know one person's perspective right. of a real person. But I don't know. I see I see I see like I can definitely see the connection between Miranda and Jacqueline. Like yes, they're obviously like they're kind of different perspectives on the same kind of character. But I also see a very key difference in that. And this is neither good nor bad. Like this isn't a moral judgment at all, but Miranda Priestly has only ever sought her own goals. Like she's never sought to like, try to help nurture you know someone else and help someone else in their career whereas Jacqueline it seems from the beginning has very intentionally done that like she does with the three main characters on the bold type like she you know gives them advice and she is very like like that is one of her goals whereas Miranda 
hasn't like that hasn't been one of her goals like she's you know I think we can maybe partially credit this to the times in which these two characters were written because they reflect what was happening in society when they were written you know like we if we see Miranda as having you know if she was at her position you know in the early 2000s then she was coming up in her career path you know like in the 80s and 90s which were a much more you know like the feminism in the cultural zeitgeist at that time was a much more cutthroat like sure girl boss like I mean they didn't use the term girl boss that came much later but like that was the kind of like I'm gonna get my seat at the table who cares about all the other women you know like that was kind of the attitude Whereas if Jacqueline, you know, is in her position in the 2010s, right? So she was coming up a little bit later than Miranda. Yeah. And at and maybe like attitudes about feminism and about women supporting each other had shifted a little bit. And so she was Jacqueline is more more concerned with like a holistic yeah. communitarian kind of feminism rather than like a capitalistic Ooh, I love that. Uh, feminism so like I don't know that it's necessarily I think there's more to it than just the time in which the characters were written I think that's part of it but I also think it's what it's the messaging behind these characters is sure. what makes them different from each other sure yeah and that was a very long-winded way of saying that but <laughs> no I love it I think that's such a key thing um because like when Jacqueline works with Jane it is very much about like well in- she's not trying to I mean in a way she is trying to get something from Jane right but at the same time she wants to give something to her which is not the case with Miranda and like as much as the last season was very rushed it seemed <laughs> she does eventually get that yeah 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 mm-hmm. um also go oh watch, goodness go <laughs> the last season that. of the yeah. bold type okay the bold type was never like uh, like excellent television um but like the last season like mm, yeah. i'm still anyway. mad about everything they did to sutton what the oh heck gosh. what the uh, heck Anyway, uh, go watch the bold type. It's really good. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um. Well, we could talk about Emily in Paris. <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> because I think okay. Let me look this up really quick because I believe the costume designer for Emily in Paris also worked on Sex in the City. D- um, D- Darren Star. Yeah. Hmm. The yeah, um, Patricia Fields, and she was the designer for Devil Wears Prada. So, oh, interesting. Um, yeah, so Patricia Field, yeah, designed Sex and the City, Emily in Paris, and Devil Wears Prada. So it's interesting to kind of make those connections. Yeah, because like, sec- like the Devil Wears Prada is obviously very directly about the fashion industry. Yeah, Sex and the City. Not as directly, but, like, it's made clear that, like, Carrie is very, you know, interested in fashion. Yeah. Um, And so it makes sense that, you know, that these fashion choices are being made. But then with Emily in Paris, it's weird because, like, it's not about the fashion industry at all. Right. Um, (laughs) 
like I like there is that kind of connection where it's like a young woman, you know, kind of embarking on this new career path. Like there's that connection to Devil Wears Prada. But then like the fashion choices in this show are kind of baffling <laughs> to me. And I'm like, not even I'm not even like a fashion person. No, right. I, I would either. say. But like just I know enough to kind of like question like what what are these choices that they're making here it's interesting anyway what was fascinating yeah (laughs) what no go ahead (laughs) what was fascinating to me is uh, with uh, another creative um similarity is darren star produced and wrote Uh sex in the city and also emily in paris it feels like justice versus limited to (laughs) or sorry limited like Sorry, limited. like Radiohead, Radiohead versus Coldplay. <laughs> right, like <laughs> Limited was um, a store for women, and Limited Two was like it's weirdly thrown together for preteen show, and that's I feel like what happened here. We have Sex in the City, which was like iconic for the style of the mm-hmm. show, and then Emily in Paris is like. Darren, what happened to you? Yeah. <laughs> what are we? What are we? What are we? Yeah, I don't know what happened with Emily and Paris. My, my friend, yeah. our friend of the show, Nicole, and I are learning friend French of the right show, now, yes. and we have already learned more than Emily ever deigns to learn. She, <laughs> she, like, walks into this office and is very much a personification of like what the rest of the world does not like about Americans. Uh, right. Yeah. Um, she walks in and she's like, I'm not going to bother. I didn't bother learning the language and I'm going to talk over these people mm-hmm. who have been in the industry for like decades. I'm uh-huh. going to assume that I know more than you. And you know, that's kind of like, so that's kind of the attitude that Andy has at the beginning yeah. of Devil Wears Prada, where she's like Nigel even says, like, you only deign to work here. Yeah. Like you think that you're above the fashion world. And like what's so compelling about Andy's journey is that she gains like a depth and a pre- of appreciation for the fashion industry. Yeah. And decides like this isn't for me, but she's still you know, appreciates it and and comes to respect it. Whereas yeah. I don't think that we ever really see that journey for Emily. Like she, no. I mean, at least at the end of season one, like I've, I started season two and like could not get very far. But <laughs> like at least at the end of season one, like I don't think she's learned anything. No. Like she hasn't come to respect anyone's no. point of view outside of her own. And I just wonder, like, what is, what even is this show? (laughs) Like, what's going on here? At the end of season two, she's walking around saying, I'm a CEO of a marketing firm. But she has not learned that she could learn something about the world around her. And I, I definitely agree that that's one of the best arcs of Devil Wears Prada is that Andy learns that there is an artistry and a beauty to this industry you know Mm -hmm. like that great scene where Miranda kind of shows her all the way that fashion has impacted her even if she's saying she's not like her she like scoffs at the two belts and then Miranda says like they're so different (laughs) right (laughs) and like 
I think that's a really cool moment in the movie, too, where you've kind of seen Miranda as an overbearing boss, and you're kind of like, yeah, okay, she needs to improve her stuff. But then in that scene, you see how much she loves her industry, you know? And you see, Mm -hmm. like, kind of her why. It's also because I just watched that scene. So anyway. (laughs) Uh Yeah, it's, oh, it's such an iconic scene. It's It's so so great. That's like I think one of the one of the really interesting things about the Devil Wears Prada is that it kind of shows both sides of the fashion industry in yeah. really smart ways because like yes of course we know that like you know the fashion industry has you know been responsible for like perpetuating some really unethical yeah. um practices like in their labor and in their supply chain And it's also, you know, perpetuated like these really terrible, unrealistic beauty standards. Absolutely. So like, yeah, we should definitely highlight that and be aware of that. But at the same time, The Devil Wears Prada, I think, shows really well that like, yeah, like you're saying, like there's a lot of artistry. Like this is an art form. Fashion is art. And I think that I don't know that Devil Wears Prada gets into this too much, um, I think we do have that moment where uh, where Andrea, Andy says, you know, like if Miranda was a man, like no one would bat an eye at her, well, yeah. you know, so I think she's kind of highlighting like the misogyny that society has always had yeah. in regards to fashion, not just as an industry, but just like as an art form, as an interest, yeah. because it's something that is mostly the interest of women. Yeah. You know, for centuries, like they're like, we talked about this in uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, actually, like the whole <laughs> idea of like corsets being so terrible, like uh-huh. that came out of a misogynistic society, you know, deriding women having this kind of outlet for expression um, through fashion. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that it, like, it doesn't delve too much into that, but I think we get kind of a taste of that. But like, yeah, this is a fashion is a, is a mixed bag. It's a. Yeah. I think. To your point about what this would be if Miranda Priestly um, identified as male or were a man Mm -hmm. and like no one would run around the office and say, okay, gird your loins like she's coming this like dragon lady. They would just say they would do it, you know, Mm -hmm. in a different way, in like a respectful way, not in like a. Yeah, it's it's kind of like when it when it's a woman in this kind of position of power, it's almost like a spectacle. Right. Like it's such a, yeah, like it's, it's such a, like a novelty almost like, Oh, yeah. it's a woman who's really powerful and right. really demanding. And, yeah. you know, always, you know, expects the best like perfection <laughs> from her employees. Like, Which, Oh, oh no. what, what a, what a crazy thing right, for a right? woman to, to have standards, you know, <laughs> it's fear based. It's not, yeah. They don't like look up to her. It's fear and it's kind of mm-hmm. loathing. It's not like, Oh, wow. 
like I really want to reach that height too. Yeah. So that's actually in the in that the cast reunion like oral history that I mentioned. They talk about that a little bit about the development of Miranda's character because I guess like in like an early draft of the script she was just like a straight up cardboard cutout villain okay interesting and they and like through some more so when like Aline Brosh McKenna um, came on and wrote a new script and she kind of brought out that more like she understood that like Miranda's not really the villain like she's you know which is what Lauren Weisberger the author of the book um, also mentions that too that like she worked with uh, McKenna and kind of like uh, brought out that like not just with Miranda but like with the movie as a whole Um, this is a quote from Weisberger from that uh, from that article she says of the first version of the script um, what they were originally missing was the sharp humor it trended toward what you'd expect from the typical chick flick, like how to lose a guy in 10 days. It wouldn't have been a stretch to see it going in that direction. But Aline took it to a whole different level of smart, sharp, irreverent humor. Yeah. Which I think is so important to note. Because like, like, you know, like I said earlier, like I love a rom-com. Oh, like, absolutely. And there's no- absolutely nothing wrong with a movie being a rom-com. But that's not what this is supposed to be. So I right. think... It's really important that they, that both Weisberger and McKenna, you know, were able to um, kind of bring about that, you know, that vision and get out of that kind of stereotype or out of that box that this movie so easily could have fallen into. Right. I think I'll get into this a little more in other episodes, but I also like the duo of Andy and Miranda, like how Mm -hmm. they're there's Mirandy is their couple name <laughs> Mirandy Mirandy <laughs> they I wonder if that's intentional that their names are so similar right you think they because they're kind of they're kind of foils to each other they're kind of like yeah Miranda's like a dark mirror image of Andy yeah in some ways yeah because like you get those scenes where we'll where Nate is so frustrated that Andy mm. tries hard at mm-hmm. his job or her job. And then mm-hmm. Miranda's husband leaves or you get like, they're both unwilling to um, conform to maybe what they're supposed to be. So like, mm-hmm. I just really love their duology there. Um, yeah. Ooh, and- yeah. And it's kind of done like a in... fatal duo. Exactly. <laughs> and you know, there are moments of it that, that are really subtle. Like when we see Andy is working late from home, she's like working on something. And then mm-hmm. freaking Nate walks out like, and you don't even see him really fully in focus. And he's asking her to like come to bed or whatever. And then mm-hmm. she kind of just waves him off. I think that was a really... If we're calling this a rom-com, I think that was a really subtle moment. I don't know. I really, as I'm watching this as an adult, I'm really into it. We'll yeah. That. Yeah. And I I planned to talk a little bit more about Nate in a later episode as well. Yeah. Because I think there's a lot more nuance to that whole dynamic than sure. has been you know, widely discussed. So yes, we will talk about that a little bit later. Oh, a blockbuster film that has nuance? That what? never happens. We don't get <laughs> that. that. Um, have you not seen the Born Identity, ma'am? <laughs> well, uh, well, 
Actually, I really have nuance but... in my blockbuster <laughs> film. <laughs> what? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Ever heard of it? <laughs> Ever heard of it? <laughs> but yes. So there's a lot to still dig into and discuss, and we will do that next yeah. week. Yeah. Hopefully we'll be able to get to everything we want to talk about. We'll see. There's, this is one <laughs> might where... have to might have to do some long episodes. That's okay. <laughs> this is one where maybe if you are like cycling through your podcast offerings this week as you return mm-hmm. to the workplace, you might think, how much could they possibly say about Devil Wears product? There's a mm. lot. Oh, oh, my friend, we already have eight pages of notes. So yeah, and it's not finished yet. Yes. <laughs> and they're just like outlines. So yes. <laughs> yeah. So we're yes. So we will be digging into this more. We'll see how much we can squeeze in. Yeah. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm excited for this one. Me too. Uh, you know where you can find us. Please, please, please send us your comments. Send us your questions. Yeah. Send us your your thoughts on Devil Wears product because we know everyone has thoughts about this so please let us know we want to know we also want to know your favorites of 2021 so give that yes, episode a listen we do. To. well happy well, new year friends happy new year happy january continue to take care of each other please. and yourselves and we'll see you next time okay thanks bye okay thanks bye <laughs>